Welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist Radio Show with host Karen Rands. A compassionate capitalist is someone who invests their money into entrepreneur endeavors to bring innovation to the market and create wealth for all those involved. Karen shares insights and best practices for entrepreneurs to succeed and investors to share in that success without all the risks. And now... All right. So welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist podcast and video if you're watching us on YouTube. Uh, you know, for those that have listened before, you know what we do here in the information that we tried to provide to entrepreneurs and investors about best practices for getting started with your business, launching your business, getting the capital that you need to grow your business into a thriving a business, thriving opportunity, a thriving business itself, that innovation goes to the market, create jobs, create wealth for those investors that are involved in that. And, um, and when I met Lauren and we got introduced, I, I understood what she did and what her background was. I was like, wow, this is going to be perfect to talk about that in general, but then very specifically to um, for the women entrepreneurs, the women founders out there, and and what does it mean when it comes to uh, raising capital and launching your own business? And we're going to dig into a lot of that stuff. And uh, so let me let me introduce you to Lauren, and then we'll we'll get started. She'll fill in some thoughts for us. So so Lauren's company is VC worthy business, right? And her expertise is in really helping women. Uh, entrepreneurs understand how to speak truth to power and be able to invest and, and be able to pitch to investors. And that's a really terrific skill to have. It's something that I have been developing over many, many years. And when I ran the angel investor group and coached all these different entrepreneurs, you know, that was a big, big piece of it in this gap within the, with, between women and men and all of that stuff. But how does somebody develop that? And when you understand Lauren's or the knowledge and the skill to be able to teach other people to do that, when you understand Lauren's journey, you're going to understand that. So her she's deep background, many, many, many years in operations. And operations are, uh, are all about, you know, really understanding the mechanisms of making an organization run well and run, uh, run smoothly. And uh, so she's, you know, a couple of different companies that she's been with. Fitzgerald Analytics was one of the last companies that she was with until she went over to Golden Seeds. And so if you're not familiar with Golden Seeds, uh, it really, I knew them when they were just one chapter um, and, and first got, and when they first got started, uh, Golden Seeds is the... Uh, it's a women, uh, I think, and you'll correct me here in just a second, Lauren, but it's all women investors investing in women founders. And here's the thing that you, in the last, say, I guess probably 15 or 20 years since they first got started, they are one of the largest, most active angel network. They have over 275 members, $120 million have been invested in over 170 companies, and they actually have funds under management. So they are a powerhouse within the, uh, within the angel investor community and without a doubt within the, the women-oriented world of entrepreneurs and investors. And then from that, Lauren started her business with, with helping entrepreneurs and specifically women with the VC-worthy business. So Lauren, first of all, welcome 
to the show. Thank you very much for, for joining us today. I'm really excited to, for our audience to hear what you have to, to share. So, Thanks for having me, Karen. I'm excited. <laughs> so talk about your uh, uh, becoming a, because were you aware of, of angel investing before you got into Golden Seal? So you were like, oh, wow, I got, this is my dream job? Or were, were you new to it? Talk about how that bridge from traditional operations to the director of operations of Golden Seals happened. Yeah, so I was, um, I was a little bit aware. You know, I was in banking previously um, and for about 10 years and heard the term angel investor, knew what venture capital was, but venture capital to me was like, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. It wasn't sort of the small, what we consider to be, and I'm doing air quotes, small uh, <laughs> investments. And when I, when I was approached about the position at Golden Seeds, it was really intriguing to, to take a dive into this world and a little bit overwhelming uh, because it was, you know, a bunch of former Wall Streeters and, uh, you know, these powerhouse women were, you know, started this angel group, especially the founder. And I was like, you know, what, what am I getting myself into? But the niche of them focusing on female founded companies was really interesting. And when I took the role, I was, I think their third employee that they had ever hired. Oh. Um, and so, you know, it, and it's, it's rare for angel groups to be able to afford, you know, be able to afford a team. Um, there's not a lot of money that, that, that goes around in angel groups, which is, you know, I think a little bit of a misnomer. It's really more about investing in companies, not necessarily about staff. And um, they were just gearing up to raise their second fund. And I literally had, had got thrown, it was like trial by fire. And, um, you know, I got to see firsthand the issues that female founders go through that I was not aware of. I didn't, I mean, I'm not surprised by it, but I was, I was sort of, you know, taken aback of like, okay, we really haven't come as far as I thought we did when it comes to female founders being able to fundraise for their companies and the stats of women, you know, only 3%, you know, breaking through that 1 million in revenue ceiling that blew my mind. Um, and wow. so that was where I got my feet wet. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was, it was a great learning experience. That's really amazing. You know, I, I, we're going to get into the nature of angel, women angel investors um, in a little bit, but really let's, 3% uh, uh, of female founders break through to um, over a million dollars in revenue. That's astonishing. It is. Um, and is that part of that? I mean, one of the things that I found, I had the opportunity to participate in a, uh, during the, uh, the Obama administration and initiative they had prior to that, I'd been involved in a various roundtables and things like that, but they had hired an organization to go and do the analytics of what women entrepreneurs and founders and why there weren't more. And, you know, because there's a lot of women, I, you know, when it comes to small businesses, I think there's more women owned small businesses than men, but yet we have this challenge where they're not over a million. And one of the things that this, this study found, um, and I saw it repeated in, uh, in the round things I did then and later on in some other things it's um, because of the types of businesses that they do. They do more lifestyle-based businesses where they're, where they're, you know, they're balancing their families and things like that. And so, you know, they're, if they make 
hundreds of thousands of dollars and doing well. It's better than the restrictions that they might have had in a job, the other challenges they have, whether it's, you know, gaining, you know, getting promotions within a job. We also have, you know, the stigma of that we are just really breaking through with sexual harassment in the workforce and things like that. So a lot of the reasons why women will go start a business and do subjective, but from your own experience of working with golden seeds and then in your coaching women, what is it that, uh, do you see it shifting now or that women are, is it a, a matter of confidence or a matter of um, like knowledge base of the STEM sciences and stuff like that, that they might create a scalable technology business or a scalable, they, they, you know, where is it, you know, is it, is it, or is it all of that? It's the confidence factor that they could be a bigger business than what it is versus just desire. They may not desire it, but when they desire it, confidence, but also the type of businesses. Is it both of those that has impacted women entrepreneurs? Yeah, I think it is a mix of that. I, I think it also is a, an additional stigma of people assume that when a female starts a business, it is a lifestyle business. It is sort of their side hustle or it's, you know, something to do while the kids are in school. And so, and, and I think, you know, it's not just men that, that, that do that to women. Women do it to other women where we, we think that, oh, look, she's starting, you know, her business, her little side business at home. And, you know, it's not going to really be much of anything. Or, oh, you work. I didn't even know that you worked, that you had a job. <laughs> um, I think that it's a mixture of everything. I think it is a mix of, you know, that we don't think there inherently is the stigma that women just create small businesses and it's something fun for us to do and, and bide our time when we're entrepreneurs. I think it is also, we're still playing catch up in, you know, the tech, the tech world. Um, we sort of missed the bubble in all of that, right? And so, um, you know, I think we're still, even though more and more women are going to technology schools and graduating, I think we're, you know, we're waiting for those entrepreneurs to sort of come up and, and develop into full-fledged entrepreneurs and have their businesses. And I think it is also, you know, women being able to step in their power and know that they can fundraise. It is daunting and overwhelming. And I think there is also a lack of knowledge around it so that, women come to it a lot of times when it's too late, when mm -hmm. they have, you know, a month left of runway in their business and they're like, oh, and I can ask people for money and they'll invest in me because I have a business that's actually something that, you know, is scalable and gonna, could be big. Yep. And they don't know until it's, it's too late or they're trying to fumble their way through it. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's a mix of a lot of different things. So one of the things that I have found, like I'll give an example. This is many, many, many years ago. So um, when mobile technology was sort of fairly new, people had websites that um, were just, you know, they were designed for a computer screen. They weren't designed for a little tiny mobile screen. And if you, and you know, you might remember back then where you had to scroll side to side and scroll up and down to see a web page on your little thing. And this company, this uh, a female-led company, had um, developed an application that would convert the web presence of an existing website into a mobile interface. 
and uh, she had come out of um, fashion industry up on Madison Avenue and understood the challenges that a lot of your e-commerce sites had that had products up there that you know were hard for people to be able to navigate and develop this app. And she was pitching at our group of angel investors, and she had some traction. She had relationships with these people. She was. And her presentation was really great. And then afterwards, it was like yawn from some of the investors. We didn't get the kind of volume that we, you know, interest that we had. But I thought this was just fascinating that she had this. And it was, you know, clearly there was going to be, it was, a, it was a bridge to where technology was going. But there's an opportunity within that. And I asked um, the, uh, the investors, some of the investors afterwards, we were like, well, why didn't you like that deal? Or well, do you like that deal? Or why not don't you like that deal? And um, what they said was, it's a huge opportunity. And she did not address how big the opportunity is. And therefore, we believe that she either lacks the confidence to go after that opportunity in a big way, or she is... Um, She's just, she's just missing the mark on it. And therefore, um, if it was somebody else doing it, we would, we would want to invest in it, but we don't think that she's the CEO to do this. And I was like, oh my God. And then when I went and gave her feedback, she said, well, I didn't want, I didn't want them to think I was overinflating the opportunity and they would dismiss me for being like too, you know, whatever. And I was being conservative, you know, that number. I want to be conservative in my numbers and stuff like that. And it was a classic example of one of the, the phrases that you used um, when we were preparing for this was um, own, being in from a place of, a, of power, right? Be, coming from a place of power and owning what it is that you're doing and knowing you are the one, right? So talk about how women can flip that switch in their brain and some of it comes i mean it's changing a lot i'll just digress a little bit because the science behind this has been like team sports and being a leader in teams and you know being able to ask for help oh pass me the ball because i can make the shot right and women not necessarily you know having been in that role where men just sort of like just assume that they can they can you know they'll ask for it and they expect to get it because they've kind of been in that role so talk about how you address that and help women to find their place of power so they can, you know, be at that table to say, this is how big, this is the change, this is the problem I'm solving. Talk about that, because I know you do a great job at that. Oh, well, thank you. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, it is a hard thing, and it's, and it's different for everyone because they need to understand where they lost their power or where they're giving their power up. And the first thing I say to my clients is, look, you have the power. You have the power to make investors money, right? They don't have the power over you. You have the power to make them money. And yes, you have power to make yourself money as well, but they have to step into that. Right. And it's not about being someone else. It's not about being more manly, right? It's not about standing in front of the room and trying to act like you are a man. That's yes. not what they're looking for. They're looking for you as the founder of this company to be a leader. And the only way that they're gonna see that is that you are able to lead yourself through your pitch. You're able to lead yourself through a conversation about your business with investors. And if you can't do that, they start to lose confidence. And if you can't be yourself during a pitch, 
their investors might feel like something's off and not know what's off. They right. can't put their finger on it. And that's where I think a lot of founders, female founders have issues. They're like, oh, it went really well. They seem to really like it. And then after the fact, they're like, well, you know, we're a no, we're a pass. And then they're shocked. But I think part of it is, okay, did you come through? They might have felt that there was a disconnection. They didn't understand why. And if they're feeling uneasy, they say to themselves, okay, I have a gut instinct something's off here. I'm going to pass. Because it's their money on the line, right? So right. they're going to just say, you know, let's, I feel like something's off, but let's keep going. with No big deal. It's really that if you are standing and owning the business that you created and no one knows it better than, than the founder does, no one. Literally, she has created every aspect of that business. If she can stand there and confidently stand in, I own this, I created this, this has come from me, I'm going to lead this to bigger, better things. And if I'm not the leader, I'm going to figure out who is. You know, I can, I can let that go if I need to let it go. And I can be real. Uh, but I need the, the, the funds to be able to continue this. And won't you go on this journey with me? And at the end, we're all going to reap the benefits. Right. Yeah. Spot on there. Yeah. I, that's, you know, I've, I, you have to do that all, sometimes with lots of entrepreneurs, you know, at all points to switch the thing that you're not asking for a handout. You're not asking from a favor from the investor. You're giving them an opportunity to create wealth through your efforts. And then that sidestep, that really good point that you made and, and, and men have to address this a lot of times too, but women as well, you know, the control issue, that, that thing that, you know, it's better to be, and this is one of the little things, better to be a rich founder than a poor CEO. And if you're not the right person to lead the company, you can take it so far, but at some point you, that's part of building the team. And one thing that I think women, you know, may not embrace that we sort of have wired for we do really do good team building because if we are, if we have the opportunity to be a, a mother or within a household, you know, we have, we build a team, we solve the problems, we help people navigate their, their, you know, disagreements. Uh, we help everybody share their load. You know, we, we have some of those, those, um, intrinsic skills and even if you're not a mother we find that sometimes when we're the uh, daughter in a family we take on that role of of uh, sisters and siblings and things like that to be able to to do that so we we kind of have that ability and when you can understand that there, there's a skill here that you can apply to that and step back if it's appropriate you're still always going to be the founder you're still always going to be the visionary and you can help, you know, launch a company. I've often compared to launching a business like birth and a baby as well. You know, this is, you know, because, right, it takes a long time, a lot of effort. There's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears involved in it, right? And then you produce this, this, this business. One thing we have to try also, and all entrepreneurs have to do this, is that your baby, when it comes to an investors, your baby not may not be the prettiest baby there, right? And just because, right, you got to like address the fact that, you know, sometimes when they criticize things, they're not, it's not personal. It's just, it's, it's learning and shifting and, and modifying so that whether it's your, to make the prettiest baby, or I use the example of being the prettiest peacock in the room, 
right? Because all pitches, they're all peacocks. So they're saying, choose me, choose me. How does the female peacock choose this male peacock with all these feathers? Well, you as an entrepreneur, you're the, the peacock with all of the beautiful feathers because you're talking about all the great things about your business. And so how do you address it? So, so as I, I've you know, kind of painted that picture, talk about that um, mentality when you're coaching entrepreneur, we're coaching the female entrepreneurs to, to understand their strengths and not only understanding their story, but how those strengths can be conveyed to that investor audience when they're when they're pitching that they have these these skill sets it may not be something that's like on a resume but it's something that they know and it's not just about the marketplace and what the problem they're solving it's their ability to address that problem i, I think so it, it really starts with how you even begin the conversation right it is and sometimes you know you have to maybe step into your ceo persona right and get into that headspace and and become her and 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 pitch and she's still part of you she's still there right it's not someone else it's you but you got to get into that space and you begin that conversation confidently right from the beginning and it is understanding where you can highlight your strengths and I think, you know, number one is the story of where the business got, became birthed from, right? How you saw that there was an issue and how you came up with a solution that is your business. Total side note, don't spend too much time talking about your solution. I know we love to talk about our children, like they're the most amazing thing, but you know, you sometimes spend a little too long there and you lose people. But, you know, really stepping into, I created this, I know everything about this and I can do this. And it really it doesn't have to necessarily be you using the words to say it. It is an energy. It is a feeling that you give off. And it is, you know, you can, you can, you know, control the narrative of the questions that are going to be asked in the beginning. There are certain things in your pitch. Oh, yeah. Sort of, you know, know that if, you know, financials, for, for instance, if you, if you are, okay, I'm going to, I know that they're going to ask based off of my financials, this question, you can prepare yourself. So when you go into the Q&A portion that, and I mean, now over Zoom, is there really a Q&A anymore? I think it's more just a conversation, but, <laughs> um, but you know, you're prepared. And if you feel that you are prepared, that whole pitch is going to feel even more prepared. And so you're going to feel like, okay, I, I, I can do this. I have this. And also if, you know, I think the big thing for me is there's a lot of times focus spent on the pitch deck. I have to have my pitch deck look pretty a certain way. And, you know, that's going to be the thing that gets their attention and it has to have all the information in it. No, you need to control the narrative. You need to come up with your script that is yours. And so it flows from you. It doesn't feel like it's robotic. It doesn't feel like, oh, I'm at this slide. I need to now talk about my projections. It's, if it comes from you, when you get to that projections part, you're like, okay, I know exactly what I'm saying because it came organically from me and you stand there with confidence. Yes. Say, this is where we're going to be in two years. And in five years, look, we're going to get our money back. And these are our competitors. And this is why we're better than these competitors. Yeah. And you're standing in a place that you know exactly what you're talking about. You have full confidence about it. And again, it just exudes that energy that is investors will be attracted to like, okay, she knows her stuff. And even if you don't have a background that necessarily fully aligns with the business that you've created, 
Because a lot of times that happens, right? Women see, and entrepreneurs in, in general, see a gap somewhere and then they start to explore where, oh, is there anything that, you know, solves this? Oh no, okay, maybe I'm just gonna keep digging and see, is this something that I can maybe solve? And so, you know, it, again, it's, it's, if, even if you don't have the background, it's still connecting the dots of, you know, why, why you are the person, because in an early stage, they have to feel that they can invest in you just as much as they can invest in the business. It yes. is in hand, mm-hmm. you know, it, it is really, and sometimes they, if, if an investor feels more confident about the entrepreneur than maybe they do about the business, they might invest anyway, because they want to be in the ground floor with that entrepreneur. And I always say you can take a so-so business and a rock star entrepreneur and she's going to take it to new heights. Right. But if you take a so-so entrepreneur and a rock star business, it's going to fail. Yeah. Yeah. It's an old uh, A team with a B product versus a B team with an A product. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So uh, we're a little, a little over halfway through. I want to uh, tell folks to lo- go learn more about VC Worthy Business and what how Lauren Kane uh, helps the entrepreneurs, women entrepreneurs. Uh, it's VC Worthy Business, just basically at VC and then Worthy and then the word business.com is the website. And on there, the first thing you're going to see is getting investors to open their checkbooks for market disrupting female entrepreneurs. And then within her, her LinkedIn profile, she describes helping female entrepreneurs position themselves and their business in a way that makes raising capital feel possible, easier, less stressful, and has investors saying, Hell yes. Okay. So two things there, opening the checkbook and the hell yes. Right. So the, it is a, um, uh, in exact science, it's a, an art to doing that. So, you know, you, uh, you talked about it, knowing the answers, the, the questions and things like that, but explain to the, our audience that the pitch is not in and of itself. It's the story that you tell that starts the conversation. The goal out of the pitch is to have them want to get more information and sit down and have a conversation with you so you can explain that. So it takes, you know, my experience, it takes a lot of, of all that stuff to get comfortable in everything that's underneath the story that's at the top. How do you work with your clients and with companies, and how did you gain this experience? Because I know you're uh, a mentor, and you are uh, you have office hours at in Atlanta here in Atlanta Technology Village, things like that. So talk about because clearly, obviously, the years you spent at Golden Seeds, you you were in the room learning this stuff. But what is your process for making sure that they? Because the fundamentals of what a business has to have for an investor to say yes is fairly consistent. But sometimes there's gaps. You know, the the notorious uh, hockey stick projection, right? You know, and knowing your financials and getting to that. So how do you help an entrepreneur understand that they've got to dig deeper to get those answers to be able to get an entrepreneur not only to convey the answer, the uh, information in such a way, but there's more than just the pitch when it gets an investor to say, hell yes. And uh, sometimes entrepreneurs are resistant to doing all of that piece of it. So what's your, what, how, what's the secret to your success in doing that? Well, you know, um, it, it is, it is a hard thing to get an entrepreneur to see beyond the pitch. And, and, you know, I still have clients that are like, 
I had, I had a great call with this investor and I think, you know, I think this is it. And they get really, really excited. I'm like, this is just the beginning, right? It is just the beginning. Really, it starts with even getting the conversation to happen. So that is the, the first step that, that, you know, we work on. And there really is an investor strategy that begins with getting that meeting. So getting either a response to that email or getting a response to LinkedIn message or your tweet or whatever it may be how to get those warm intros, and, and so how to even get yourself in front of investors, making sure it's the right investors, because that's also key. You can pitch a million times, if it's to the wrong people, you're not gonna get a check, or you're not gonna get the check that you want. You right. have to make sure it's the right investors for your company. And then it's okay, taking a step back and looking at your script and making sure that you have something that is going to be powerful and something that investors are going to want to continue to have a conversation about. And then we dig into, okay, this is what due diligence looks like. Do you have a data room? What is yeah. going to be asked of you? What's going to be expected? And, um, you know, I now have a system where my clients actually put their information in, um, I use Proceder. So um, it, it's an application system that some angel groups use. Back at Golden Seeds, I actually helped create it. Um, so I know the ins and outs of it really well. Um, and But my, my clients actually apply through the system into my portal. They put in their data room. So then all they need to do or I need to do is share it with potential investors and they have everything there. Yes, there might be a couple things that investors ask you for that you might not have because everyone does their due diligence a little bit differently, but it's making sure that they're prepared for those conversations and not caught off guard because really, yes, the pitch is the easy part because you have prepared for that over and over again. It is the questions that investors are going to ask you individual to themselves and how they invest that you want to make sure you have you know, you have those appendices in your pitch deck that you can say, oh yes, you want to know that, that information? Okay, great. Here, yeah, it, is. here it is. Or how to handle it when you don't have a piece of information. Right. How to respond to an investor and say, you know what? That's a really good question. I have that information. It's not at my fingertips. Let me get back to you later today. And so understanding how to handle all of that so that again, they are still in their place of power they're still in the place of control and feel like, okay, I can do this. This is totally doable and possible. And if you can keep it in, because it's about keeping an investor engaged, right? You don't want to let time go by because you will lose them. Something else shiny will come up and just <laughs> all of us, myself included. And so you want to make sure you're on it. And so that it's a very quick process as quick as it can be. And also you want it to be quick because you want the funds in your bank account as fast as you can so you can grow your business. And so it's really about from beginning to end, looking at an entire process and making sure they're prepared for it. Right. They've answered those, those key questions of, you know, the, how they're going to make money, what's the problem they're solving, all of those things and truly understanding it and not taking a shortcut. And, and I think part of it, which I'm sure you work with folks on is, uh, you know, assessing because you're working with them on what their strengths are. And so if they're, say their strength is in marketing, but they don't actually have actual sales experience, it's finding the mentor, the, the people to be on their board of advisors or ultimately for part of building the team and knowing when they've got a gap in the team that they need to be able to succeed in this business, who's going to fill that and knowing it's okay to not have an answer to that, but know that you will figure it out as you get funding or you get further along and being able to address it, like you say in the question. And I think sometimes it's, um, 
and I, maybe women are, might be a little bit better at this, is uh, listening to hear what the real question is and addressing the question. Not, you know, that's a big thing that I think um, entrepreneurs need to master is how to respond to questions and ask just the question you know, answer just the question that they're, that's being asked, not, you know, everything else. So you can get more questions because the more questions you get, the more engaged you're going to have with your potential investors. And you don't have to have, again, you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to, you know, you can, to your point, you can say, you know, sales, not our strong suit. I'm really looking for advisors or investors where they have this expertise and can help me figure out a, a better game plan. Um, or, you know, I'm looking for investors that have access to these type of corporations or connections. Investors want to see, not all, but, but a lot want to see where they can add some value into the investment that they're making and or want to feel like the entrepreneur is coachable. That is their, that coachability factor, right? And so if they can see places where they can either mentor that entrepreneur uh, or make connections with the investment that they're on top of the investment that they're making, then that's where the relationship develops. Cause really, you know, it is about the relationship that you develop with the investor. You know, if there's not one there, it is a lot easier for them to say no and to walk away from the conversation. But if you're able to build that rapport and really, you know, I always say like to, to my entrepreneurs, if you get an investor, a conversation with an investor, never try and pitch them right from the beginning. Don't try and, hey, we got 20 minutes. I'm going to use 10 minutes to pitch you my company. Amazing. Are you going to write me a check? Thanks. No? Oh, yeah, yeah, what yeah. happened? Right. No, it's, they are human beings too. Hey, where do you live? What type of companies do you like to invest in? What type of investor are you? Um, you know, get to know them. Where, where are you vacationing? How are you handling COVID? All of these things that it, it develops that relationship that then it helps the entrepreneur sort of calm down. And so when they're ready to pitch the next, in the next conversation or later in that conversation, they feel a little bit more grounded. And also it builds that connection. So it's easier for the investor to say, you know what? I really like you. I'd love to continue that conversation. Because mm -hmm. there are some investors that will invest off of just really believing that this entrepreneur is going to do what they say they're going to do. They like them. And, you know, I've heard that often where, you know, I, if it wasn't this business, they were going to do some business that was going to be successful. So um, one of the things I want you, while we're, we're getting ready to wrap up, because I think it's really relevant for the times we're in right now. You know, traditionally, when you would go through a screening process with an angel group and you would have, you know, this focal point and you know, and the, and the investors know, and then they would we, and it may still work that way for angel groups because then they gather up and decide about this deal or that deal. With so many of these pitch events and demo days that are happening online and you don't have the benefit of seeing the eyeballs, are, am I staying engaged with these investors? Um, are, you know, and uh, the, the handling of the questions and then the follow-up that you can happen immediately where you get to go and mix and mingle because you're in person. Now we're doing this all digitally. Are there any tips or techniques or best practices or things that you've seen, you know, hacks of, of you know, this digital delivery that helps entrepreneurs go through that follow-up process to identify who's interested, who's kind of, you know, kind of curious and, and engaging them after the fact of a digital presentation when you don't have the, the eyeballs and the handshakes to basically judge that? So, so there are two things, or actually, I guess more than two things. But the first one would be, 
if you have a team member, or even if, you, if you're a solopreneur and you don't really have a team yet, have a friend or family, see if they could join and you know, take note of who is actually in the event. Most Zoom meetings, you can see who's in attendance, not all, so you need to understand the format that you're walking into, and that is like number one, understand the format and ask the questions, please, about the format. Um, but, but take note of who's there and also who asks questions uh, while you are presenting or during Q&A because you're in it, you're not paying attention to what questions are being asked over to the side. You know, you're, you're, you should be totally focused on listening to what questions are being asked and not like, okay, so-and-so, I need to make sure I, you know, connect with them after. You know, if you can, in your pitch, flesh out that, okay, I know that these certain questions, if you're able to control it enough, that these few questions are going to come up at the end, then again, you'll be prepared for it. It's just it being as prepared as you were to walk into a normal pitch situation. It's just a little bit different. It's, you know, I think in some ways it might be better because if you're asked to pre-record your pitch, you can actually make sure that the best version is the one that you send in, right? <laughs> but you have to make sure you ask for help along the way. You are people looking at your recording after you're doing it and going to be people that give you blunt feedback. If you have mentors, ask them to review, um, you know, what you did. Ask your mentors to fire questions at you after you, after they watch that video so that you can be prepared. And again, you know, understand the format. Are you going to have the opportunity to see who's, who are the eyeballs that uh, are looking at your pitch? Are you going to get names after? How are they going to measure interest, right? I've been on a lot of pitch competitions on Zoom where I join, no one engages with me, and I drop off, and I have no idea if, if you know, they even knew I was there because it's just, you know, the way that they use the format, and it's not good or bad or anything. It's, everyone's a little bit different, um, but, you know, set yourself up for success in the best way possible and ask for help. I know sometimes that can be really hard, and sometimes you have to ask for help. People don't entirely understand what it is that you do for a living mm. um, but, <laughs> as an entrepreneur. But this will also give them the opportunity. And, you know, just take a breath and realize everyone is in the same boat. We all don't know how this, this pitch thing is going to go, right? And usually even people putting it on don't know. Um, and, you know, just be, just be open, grounded, and be real. Um, and I think, you know, if you understand, again, the format that how you're going to be set up, how are you set up for success in that, or how can you set yourself aside and, and set yourself up for success? Yeah, and and some that's I love those points. And there's uh, and and some basic stuff that we sometimes take for granted is have your contact information on the bottom of the screen, right? Have it on your your PowerPoint. So if they don't, because you know they may run out of time, and you might have more questions, and you even as an investor may not be able to get your question answered. But if the entrepreneur has that information on the on the the thing you can they'll write it down and they might follow up but i love the idea of having somebody else kind of peeking in and watching to keep track of who's that sometimes one of the things that i do when i'm on a call and i'm trying to keep track of everybody i will do a screen grab of all the little boxes and their names so that then i can look back and i make a note of it and i can remember what that person said or those kind of things and that sort of helps me on that as well so um uh Let's see, they, I had one more question I had to ask you, but uh, anything that um, we've not covered that you would like? To, oh, I don't remember what it was, but I want to cover this because I think, was it you that was telling me that, about the sticky note thing? 
Oh, yes, that I had a client that put a sticky note over her. Yeah, so that's a practice. That goes to your practice thing when you do this because you can be very nervous as an entrepreneur. So share that, you know, and, and, and the outcome, that it wasn't all about the visuals, right? That she could, because she was prepared with yeah. her content. So share that story and then we, we'll wrap up. Yeah, I recently had a client who did a, um, a two-minute pitch three slides was all she was allowed. It was very short time because there were a lot of other entrepreneurs presenting. And I said, okay, I want you, because it was rapid and, you know, it was out of sort of the, the norm. She had her, you know, I said, okay, I want you to put breathe on a sticky note. And I always tell, you know, my clients like put sticky notes if you need it around your computer. No one can see them as reminders. Right. And so she had breathe on a sticky note not to like rush too much through her pitch to like take a breath and, and have a moment even though she had like literally seconds and she put the sticky note half over her camera through her whole pitch. And, <laughs> and so, but you know what? I mean, she, we laughed about it. She found the humor in it. Um, I actually think it made her memorable. So to a potential investors, um, but it was one of those things that you can be very prepared and the little things happen. And the fact that you're able to laugh about it after and find the humor in it, you're, then you'll be fine. You know what? It all works out. You're on a journey. You're never going to get all your money from your first pitch. Yeah. You're going to be doing dozens, if not a hundred pitches to get all the investors that you need in your funnel. So there, you learn something from every time. And I follow up, follow through is so important because in that case, she had investors that were interested and so as she progresses through and she accomplishes milestones or she gets other people investing, that then she can come back to those people that were saying, hey, this is my progress because, you know, that's a big part of it. It's a journey. And, and as you say, the relationships that you form, you know, there's investors, there's all kinds of reasons why they don't invest today. Could be they're not liquid at this moment in time. Um, that shiny object thing that you talked about, right? So if you stay in touch with them, there, you move them through your funnel, and at some point in time, there and 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 because you stay in touch with them, it may not be them, but they may know somebody because they like you that they'll introduce you to all of those things, right? Yes, hundred percent. Always ask for introductions. Always, you never yeah. know where it can take you. Yeah. Anything else you'd like to add, Lauren? Before we say goodbye. Thank you. No, this has been great. Thank you so much. Okay, great. I really, really have enjoyed having you on the show. I think it's been tremendous value for the entrepreneurs that are listening and also for the investors that are listening to, you know, think, cut, cut some slack through for those nervous entrepreneurs that are stumbling around, you know, see through some of the language as to what the opportunity is. If there's something that they um, missed the boat on because they really haven't figured out their customer acquisition model or something like that, Say, you know, be real with them. Say, look, I like your idea. I like the problem, but I think you need to still really work through your customer acquisition model. And as you, you know, I, you know, stay in touch with me. I'm not a hundred percent. No, I'm unlikely, but be real. Don't sell false hope to these entrepreneurs to your point of the people that get on the phone. Oh, I think it really, really great because you know, investors love to, they never want to pop an entrepreneur's bubble, but there is, we're all, I always say, we're all big boys and girls. And it, you can it, uh, know that is, that with a reason is 100% better than a, a 
a mamby-pamby Dodsa issue, not yet, not quite a no, not quite a yes. You're just sort of this kind of a thing. Just be real investors out there with your entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs. It's okay to say, well, what would it take for you to make an investment decision as well? Mm-hmm. 100%. All right. Lauren Kane with VC Worthy Business. Please go and, uh, and learn more and uh, get engaged on her website and uh, get the help that you need because if you've got a dream and a vision for an innovation that you want to bring to the market, uh, you have the ability to engage those investors that they'll make money with you along the way. And as the compassionate capitalist, that's, that's innovation going to the market, creating jobs and creating wealth for all those involved and there we have it. Thank you very much, Lauren, for being on my, on my podcast and this video and to everybody else out there, onwards and upwards. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Compassionate Capitalist Podcast Radio, where we encourage individual investment in entrepreneurs to create generational wealth and best practices for small businesses to succeed. Help us spread the word about compassionate capitalism by sharing this podcast with your friends and colleagues. The Compassionate Capitalist Podcast is available on most podcast platforms, including iTunes, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and many more. In production for over 10 years, there are over 180 episodes available for your listening and educational pleasure. With over 130,000 downloads, this podcast is rapidly becoming the top podcast for investors and entrepreneurs to get the information they need to create generational wealth through entrepreneurism. This podcast is brought to you by the Business Power Tools, which offers an online collaborative environment for leadership teams to prepare business plans, marketing strategies, financial modeling needed to attract capital and scale a business. Also, Lindio as a entrepreneur's resource portal providing access to dozens of lenders offering short-term and long-term debt to help business owners manage their financial cash flow and growth capital needs. BizX, creating affordable advertising resources and other tools for entrepreneurs to succeed and create awareness and trust with their customer base. And Launch Funding Network, part of Cougarand Capital Holdings. It's a network of hundreds of angel investors, investor clubs and networks, venture capital firms, private equity funds, family offices, investment bankers, and lenders. Please visit karenrands.co to learn more about the Launch Funding Network and our sponsors and to sign up to get our Compassionate Capitalist Coffee Break and learn more about how we can help you succeed.